This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's inner north. Today's Bigger Question, Does Power Corrupt? And we're asking this question today to two business leaders. First, to Dr. Jenny George. Jenny is CEO of Converge International, a leading Australian health and wellbeing solution provider. Before that, Jenny was Dean of the Melbourne Business School, and she's also served on the boards of a variety of not-for-profits, entities, and she joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Jenny George. Thank you. And my next guest is George Savides. George was CEO of Medibank for 14 years until 2016. He has over 25 years experience as CEO of Australian and New Zealand healthcare companies, and he's now a partner of the consulting firm Sodia and serves in a variety of board roles. And he joins me now. Please welcome George Savides. Well, Jenny and George, welcome to Bigger Questions. Now, George, you spent 30 years in business leadership. Um, you recently retired from the CEO of Medibank a couple of years back. Thank you both for joining us here today to share. Uh, to kick off Bigger Questions, though, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Jenny George and George Savides about power. So I thought I'd test you on how much you know about the effects of money and power according to academic research. Mm. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about that. Perhaps the uncertainty created by these smaller questions have put me in a particular position of power over you now. Um, we'll see how you go. Anyway, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, a group of Berkeley researchers led by Paul Piff found a scientific connection between people who have power and what? Was it A, kindness, B, a desire to change the world, C, jerkiness, or D, the confidence to wear pyjamas to the office? So which of those did they find a scientific connection between? Maybe we'll start with you, Jenny. I'm going to go D, pyjamas in the office. pyjamas in the office, okay. Yeah. Right, what about you, George? Yeah, look, I, oh, I like the pyjama idea because yeah, it okay. sort, of, sort of indicates a degree of the lack of self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what you're going to go for? Or are you going to go for yeah. the D as well? Yeah. You are, okay. Unfortunately, it's not the right answer. Um, <laughs> it's perhaps connected. It's actually C. Um, jerkiness uh, is that's what they discovered. The researchers discovered that the more powerful uh, people did things like failing to give way at intersections or cheated and lied in friendly games, and they used the time, term to describe this as being a selfish jerk. Mm. So oh, that, that kind of jerkiness. Oh, so, yeah, there was a mis- yeah, so, so you were yes. thinking of a different type of jerkiness, were you like beef jerky or something? Or? No, I just <laughs> thought maybe their movements were jerky. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry for the miscommunication no, there, perhaps, fine. but anyway. Um, so have you ever tried to... Uh, you seem to like the pyjama idea, though. Is that something that you've uh, ever did or do as a no. head of an organisation? That's not... <laughs> no, but I do think George is right that um, power does bring with it a, a, the potential, anyway, to either be unself-aware or to um, feel like you can get away with more um, that's a bit unusual socially. Right, OK. But you've never tried pyjamas in the office, George? No, but um, <laughs> I think on the jerkiness now, as I think about that, I, I, I guess the, the idea there is that, um, you know, the statement that comes out of a person in that mindset is, don't you know how important I am? So why do I have to worry about the traffic lights? Yeah. Mm. 
yeah. that kind of well, implicit. Yeah. We'll, come, we'll explore that a bit more yeah. in just a second, but we've got to try to get you to pass these smaller questions. Okay, there's a second question here. Uh, question two. Another research study examined how college students with high or low socioeconomic status reacted when presented with a jar of wrapped candies, because it was an American study, um, after completing a survey. Now, the researcher explained to the study participants that these candies were for young children in a study down the hall, but they could take some if they wanted. So which group of people literally took the most candy from children? Was it A, the richest, B, the poorest, C, the most hungry, or D, those with the most number of relatives under the age of 10? Maybe we'll start with you this time, George, and we'll see how you go. Well, maybe I'll, I'll say the richest. Okay, that's a good one to go with. What do you think, Jenny? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. A. Okay. Uh, well, that's right. Yes, indeed. The richest, the answer was A, the richest participants took twice as much candy as the poor participants. So, anyway, well, Jenny and George, power up. You got two of our, sorry, you got one of our smaller questions right. You passed. Big round of applause. So, George and Jenny, you've both sort of touched on some of the outcomes of this, but the social researcher, Paul Piff, he argued that those with higher socioeconomic status, those with money and power, tended to act more like selfish jerks, not necessarily jerky in behaviour, necessarily. So what do you make of this research? As business leaders, uh, it doesn't paint those with power or wealth in a particularly good light, does it? Well, I think uh, you're right. And if you sort of play, if you sort of explore the why around that, I, I'm thinking... You know, when you get the power cord uh, opportunity of plugging yourself in as a leader and all the lights are on you and you have the authority to make a whole bunch of decisions around resources and people, you can think that it's all about you instead of the assignment that you've been asked to facilitate mm. as a leader. Yeah. And if you get trapped in the it's all about you, uh, then this sort of myopia around self-interest starts to take over and the interests of others, even children who expect some candy, sort of get subordinated. Yeah, you can literally take candy from children if you think you're worth it, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts, Jenny? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, there's a really interesting quote um, that a famous Hollywood actor uh, is particularly difficult to work with and one of his colleagues said, well... How would, what would you expect uh, if you've never heard the word no for 25 years? And I think that it can be very difficult actually to maintain a sense of uh, yourself as a person um, who, along with everyone else, uh, doesn't have any special entitlement if, in fact, everyone has all your life treated you with a sense of entitlement. So I think that that's a, a big part of it uh, and a big part of why power um, might corrupt. Mm. I think the other thing, and perhaps this goes to the question of uh, the socioeconomic groups, is it does depend on who you surround yourself with. So I think our behaviour is really um, quite clearly shaped by the people we choose to hang out with. And so if we hang out with people who all have the same sense of entitlement or the same background mm. expectations that we have, um, we can quickly acquire that. And even if you come from a quite a poor background, if you end up hanging out with rich people all the time, you actually, I think, take on the colour of your surroundings because you end up believing that that's the way that the world works and it becomes like a fish in water. You don't actually notice what you're swimming in anymore. Yeah. So, what you, George, you led to multi-billion dollar organisations. Was it something that you struggled with or was it an issue for you in trying to connect with the ordinary worker, necessarily, as you are in the, as a CEO role? Yeah, well, look, I, I think when you're sort of in the leadership role of, a, say, a corporation or an organisation, 
Um, normally, the number one priority is to get the mission done, the job done. Uh, and to do that, you need to mobilise a team of people, align them, uh, you know, get their uh, energy level to a sense of real uh, commitment, discretionary effort for the cause. So there's got to be a sense of purpose in why they're, you know, teaming up. And out of that comes a whole lot of energy and release to get on with the job of achieving the, you know, organisational goal or mission. If you start that journey totally distracted with the person in the mirror, there's a whole lot of stuff that's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, the team's not going to get the direction they need or the support or encouragement. The resources will flow to the person who gets the biggest paycheck rather than the resource needs of the organisation. And what used to be a promise around trust, we trust you as leader to get the job done, trust got, gets breached, leader is compromising the role for self-interest and self-gain. And that's where power corrupts. Mm. When we get caught up with what's in the mirror rather than the mission that you've been given to uh, undertake as the leader. Yeah. Now, but do you think that power changed you though? Jenny, I mean, because you had a particular experience where you were in power and yeah. you sort of stepped away from that. So yeah. what was your uh, reflection? Can you sh share us what happened and sure. then your self-reflection on what happened? Yeah, look, I had a really interesting experience in that I was uh, Dean of the Melbourne Business School, so effectively CEO, and then after a couple of years stepped down but stayed in the organisation. And I tell you what, if you want to do a thought exercise on how much are you letting power kind of run away with you, think about what would happen if you had to go and work in the team that you lead as an ordinary team member, having been in leadership. How would your team react? How would you go? How would you react to a new leader? Um, all of those things are pretty challenging and it was a really interesting experience for me. Um, so I think in one sense, I'm, uh, there were certainly some learnings and there were some things that I realised um, I probably hadn't done as well. I, I realised lots of ways in which I hadn't been hearing about how people had been feeling and communication was something that um, had been quite challenging and, and certainly I got a sense of that when I stepped down. But on the other hand, I was able to step down um, without uh, being ostracised, so clearly things hadn't <laughs> gone too badly so you either. hadn't burned too many bridges. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's interesting and you, you look at uh, p prime ministers who go back to being backbenchers, it's a really difficult job and I have to say not always well done. Mm. <laughs> um, and if you, you think about that and you think, if I was in a really, you know, fairly senior position of power, uh, could I actually step down from it and stay with the team and understand how to do that and potentially still support the new leader? Uh, I think if you can be in a mindset where you actually realistically think that's possible, you're probably balancing things reasonably well. Mm. Now, questions just come in from our text line from our live audience. Uh, I'll direct it towards you, George. It says, do you think big corporations understand the problem of power corrupting? Yeah, well, that's been the big topic in the Hayon Royal Commission, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. With the uh, Royal Commission into financial services. And look, in the same way that a leader can be blind to their own behaviour in terms of self-orientation and self-interest, I call it gravity, Organisations can have the same problem. If they get it from the leadership and the culture of, from above. They can become, uh, through activity that's saying that this is success, it may be revenue performance or some other organisational goal, sales or whatever, they get so obsessed with rewarding and celebrating certain successes around business goals and they sometimes uh, create over time a a blindness or an insensitivity or a numbness 
to some of the impacts of what they do with customers mm. or the broader community. And that institutional blindness is well researched, it's real. You know, we can have great leaders who are so busy doing the busy, boards on top of them, shareholder organisations pressing for goals and, re and returns. And they sort of forget the tentacles of reality that reach out into the land of those that they impact, customers and the society. Now we're talking about power today, and there's a famous quote by Lord Acton who said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. So Jenny, to what extent was Lord Acton correct? Well, I do think power is uh, addictive. And I do think that it's not a case that you see bad things happening because it just so happens that those were terrible people. I think power is corruptive of lots of people who in other circumstances would be ordinary. So I think the Me Too movement for me is a really interesting example. You see so many people who are being found out, if you like, for doing things which are quite horrific and horrendous when you see them. And you might wonder, well, I wonder if just the worst people in our society all happen to make their way into powerful positions in the entertainment industry. <laughs> and I don't think that's true. I think ordinary people, when given that amount of untrammeled power, and particularly untrammeled power where you have extremely attractive uh, you know, actresses and so on, and really a license almost to do anything... I think in those situations, that sort of power is difficult for anyone mm. to resist. Mm. I don't think it's impossible, but I think this is ordinary people and what happens to them when given that amount of power. So, George, does this mean that power is bad? Well, I don't think power is bad on its own. Like, it's like, is money bad? It's, it's that kind of question. It's what you do with it or, or how it, it sort of takes over from a balanced outlook and how it corrupts trust. So, you know, if, if, if you receive the assignment and you're empowered as a leader from a governance board or whoever puts you into that role, it is a position of trust. Your strongest significance comes when you give power away, trust the team, and the team delivers the mission. Mm. And they're looking for you to care for them. So that's the role of a leader. Care for your team, articulate where we're going, give a sense of purpose to the work ahead so that the sacrifice is worth it on that journey and then we achieve greater good. But sometimes, as we see, leaders get caught in the mirror, caught in the trap, yeah. and it's all a bit of a drug. Yeah. But I think that that only happens or it only works when the leader genuinely believes there's a bigger cause. I think if you see really successful leaders who've been humble... They've either uh, believed that God was uh, bigger than them and that they were accountable to God, or they've had a purpose and a passion. I mean, you look at Nelson Mandela, uh, he wasn't about him, he was about something bigger. I think that sort of humility is extraordinarily rare in, in a leader with as much power as Mandela anyway, but I think it comes with an understanding that you are really quite small in comparison to something much larger that you're serving. Mm, mm. Yeah, true. So finally, so if you're struggling then to find a purpose bigger than yourself, it's hard to, to go beyond the mirror, so to speak. I think so, yeah. Mm. Another question's come in from our text line from our live audience. Uh, is corruption innate or acquired? How much 
do you think it's linked to a certain person being susceptible due to their specific personality traits? What, what are your thoughts, Jenny? I don't think it's much to do with personality. I actually think most human beings are susceptible to power. I think it's part of being human. It's, it's the human condition, so to speak. It is. I would even go so far as to say that I think that our society right now is peculiarly addicted to it. And that's because I think that um, our society has more control over our lives than almost anyone else has had. We have more control over our health. We have more control over what we do. We have more control over the number of children we have. Everything that we do, we have more control over. And I think we're a bit addicted to that. And we may not even realise that. I think past uh, generations, even people in other countries, have a much a much more different life than we have. The, where I see it coming out is actually in, um, now I'm going to get more controversial, but the, the, the debate over end-of-life choices. And you see some people saying, but I want to control when I die. It's this it's addiction to control and power. And uh, yes, I think it's human. Mm. And contrasting uses of power are actually described in the New Testament part of the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have. Jesus uses the term lording over them to describe how some rulers exercise authority. So Mark 10, verse 43, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, we've talked a lot about the corrupting influence of power. So this idea of lording over, it doesn't seem particularly surprising. No, very um, natural. I yes. think if you're given power, uh, there is a natural tendency to want to use it both to be in control, to make decisions, and to make your own life more comfortable yeah. and easy. So it's very tempting, this type, this vision of leadership then. Yeah. But George, doesn't this type of leadership work? I mean, there was a, was a famous business leader called Al Danlap, uh, who was named, nicknamed the Chainsaw. Uh, he wrote a best-selling manifesto titled Mean Business, M-E-A-N, Business. Uh, he made a very successful career at business brutality, uh, so isn't being mean not just a, really a corruption, but just the way should be, you know, the way things should be done in business? The be mean to get ahead. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. So it's, <laughs> you might get a good result for a year, as you squeeze everything and create all. This well, he, cu he used to cut, 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 cut. That was the way he got good shareholder returns. Yeah, that's right. But then there's no organisation left to get, <laughs> get returns on year three and year four. So it's just long-term sustainable returns is what uh, shareholders are looking for. And you don't get that with short-termism and, and brutality because uh, the high-performing organisations are excited about the work they do, very creative about the products they solve and deliver and enthusiastic about making them valuable and, and wanted. And, and so you don't get that from leadership that is... Uh, cruel, um, is frightening, uh, is abusive. Uh, you get that from leader that, leaders that are supportive, encouraging, investing in their teams. And they're the organisations that perform long term and that are sustainable. Mm. Well, Jesus offers a very contrasting and alternative vision for leadership and how to use power. He outlines a different vision of leadership to the rulers uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 43. He says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, Jenny, isn't this the idea of Jesus' kind of servant leadership here, like a nice idea, but a bit out of place in the modern business world? No, I think it's uh, quite um, applicable, and I think it works in practice. Um, I think uh, there's certainly, you know, academic research done, uh, done on it as well, um, and it is perfectly possible for a modern corporation to have servant leadership if people 
choose that uh, as the style that they want to use. But isn't it a bit weak? Uh, no, not at all. I think the interesting thing is the power that you have from the position that you have uh, doesn't go away, actually. The question is how to use it. And if you use it to serve others, um, that doesn't mean that you don't have power. You still have the power. It's not weakness at all. You're just using it in a particular way mm. with a particular mindset. So you can still make hard decisions as a servant, George? Yeah, look, um, I've spent a lot of time with search firms in the last 10 years uh, for CEOs and chair roles, etc. You were looking for roles, were you? No, <laughs> no. I've been, well, yeah, we're appointing. <laughs> oh, right, OK, sorry, and, not for yourself. Yeah, right, no, yeah. no. And, and so in speaking to them, I, you know, you get close to their world, the, the search firms. You know what, the conversation that keeps coming up, I said, you know, what are you looking for as a, as a consultant search firm leader who's bringing a candidate list to us? And they're, they're constantly they're saying, we're looking for... One of our filters is humility. I said, well... And you've been talking about the word servant. You can bring those two words together, can't you? It's the same characteristic. And, and so, you know, egotistical, chest-beating, I've got all the answer-type leaders, alpha males, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's no longer what people are looking for. And that's not your, what you're looking for at the top of no, big business no, in, in Australia. You will not engage and unlock the talent of a large and complex organisation with a leader that is self-sufficient. It's just not going to work. Mm. We've talked a bit about Jesus and his model of leadership, but Jenny, why should, why should we believe him and follow his model? Uh, well, he was a pretty great leader. <laughs> yeah, well, he died, didn't he? Uh, yes, uh, which is very interesting. So here you've got someone who has managed to probably have more impact on the world than anyone else in history. Uh, he did it by age 33 and he did it by dying. Uh, it's not a model that you would recommend from a textbook. Um, you didn't see that in any business textbooks at no, Melbourne Business School? No, not, no, not no. A... Dying's not the usual strategy <laughs> in the uh, leadership textbooks. Uh, and yet you can see that Jesus clearly had an, had an impact as a leader that is unparalleled. I, I see no incompatibility at all uh, between humility and immense power and immense impact. Mm, mm. Your thoughts, Georgia? Anything to add on? Yeah, well, um, we, we do live in a world now that is exploring the um, whole concept of spirituality, uh, present, you know, being present um, and thoughtfulness, mindfulness. And uh, the Christian uh, journey of spirituality is to uh, engage God uh, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, and so Christian leaders I know who I've shared many of the journey and Jenny and I get connected every month through a leadership group that we meet with, um, constantly drawing on the strength of um, a spiritual connection with their faith mm. to be that lens of checking humility, understanding that sense of sacrifice and purpose. It's not about them, it's about the... The, the, the mission they've been called to lead. Well, speaking of mission, we see Jesus' mission here in verse 45, where he says that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So it seems as though death was actually part of his bigger purpose, so to speak. Jenny? Yes, death was absolutely not failure. It was part of the business plan. That's why it's uh, incredibly interesting. So what difference then did the Christian faith make to the way that you lead, George? Um, well, it does sort of make me... Uh from day one, really, in terms of the career that I've had, um, I've always sort of sensed that if the role that I've been given is something that I'm accountable for, it's a gift, um, it's not there for me to 
you know, peel open the, the gift itself and enjoy it myself. It's there to uh, be faithful to the call, uh, to do the very best I can with the sense of uh, uh, talent that I've, you know, been given to try to mobilise an organisation to solve the problems it has to solve and serve the uh, beneficiaries that it's com committed to serve, all those beneficiaries, including the community around us. So it's, it's kept me centred. Mm. And, and it gave me a sense of deep purpose in my own life, even in a business career. So, you know, the Sunday and Monday didn't matter. They were both important. And the sense of a, a, a life well lived on Monday was very deep in my, in my sense of calling through mm. my, my journey of career. Mm. How about you, Jenny? What difference has the Christian faith made uh, in the way you lead? Well, firstly, I think I, I don't... I didn't have a life that was centred on ambition to start with. So my life goal was not to be a CEO. So I've arrived here in a way by accident, uh, not entirely. I mean, I, I, I obviously have been Took in the situations... Wrong turn one morning, did you? <laughs> <laughs> but I've been oh. in situations where I got opportunities and decided to take those opportunities. But I haven't mapped out a career path that mm. would lead here. Um, and in many ways, I feel that I've mapped out a career path in which each step I've taken has been saying, what next can I do that would be meaningful? Um, and that for me has been something that's come because of the uh, approach that I've taken and because I actually want my life to be centred on how I can live my life for God. Mm. Um, so I think that's been important. And I think it also brings a different attitude towards my leadership, given that it's not my life's ambition. It's where I am. But I can hold it a little bit more lightly, I think, than if this was the thing that I'd been aiming for all my life. And, you know, if I still had some grand plans beyond this. And, and I really don't, which is quite freeing. Mm. I think the other thing is that I genuinely find the community around me very helpful and I find that uh, the things that I reflect on uh, with that community help me to stay grounded. And one of my little tests, one of them is, of course, if I step down, would I still be able to go back to my team? The other test is if my family or my church or the people that I sing with in a choir and my workmates were to go into each of those contexts, would they still recognise me? Am I the same person? Because I think that for me, that's a great test of integrity across all of those uh, different mm. arenas of life. So Jenny and George, does power corrupt? It will corrupt if you don't understand why you're there as a leader who's been given this power. It's come to you in trust and you must honour that trust. Uh, and know that it's there to empower the team and not your personal ambition. Yes, I think it will if you fall in love with it and if it's something that uh, you become addicted to. I think you need lots and lots of support to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm. And perhaps a vision of a, a bigger story, so to speak, as well. And feeling small sometimes because you understand that you're part of a much bigger purpose and you're a very small cog in that larger wheel. Yep. Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, does power corrupt, from Mark 10, 43 to 44. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Dr. Jenny George and George Savides. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show 
go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.